Well, if you want to get your Bibles out a while, you can turn to uh, Luke chapter 21. <clears throat> this is probably the wrong audience to ask this question, but any comic book fans in here? There's one or two. I saw that hand, Tom. Um, when I was a kid, I, I loved comic books, and I, I had piano lessons in Lancaster, and there was a used bookstore nearby, and so every week I'd go and buy some comic books, and then I'd bring them back the next week and turn them back in for a couple cents and get a few more used ones. Um, there was a new comic book that just came out this summer um, called The Second Coming. Did any of you hear about this? So it was supposed to be uh, coming out in the spring uh, through DC Comics, two major comic houses, DC and Marvel. Uh, the creator of it, uh, Mark Russell, though, got an email one morning from his editor. And the guy said, uh, open up your browser. He said, you're on the front page of Fox News. And uh, news outlets had got a hold of this planned comic book about Jesus and uh, splashed it all over the news and uh, got, started to get a lot of pushback from Christians and others. And so eventually DC Comics washed their hands of it. Uh, but a smaller comic house, uh, uh, comic book house up in uh, New York picked it up, Ahoy Comics. And so it just came out in July. And it is blasphemous. That's the reason there was pushback. It's a picture of a, I would say God the Father really doesn't know what he's doing. Or maybe I should put it this way. He's, he sent Jesus here on a mission and he wasn't happy with the job he did. And, and so he discovers that there's a superhero on planet Earth called Sunstar. S-U-N-S-T-A-R. And he sees Sunstar beating up on the bad guys and and cleaning up the streets and so forth. And he figures that if he sent his son Jesus uh, down to partner with Sunstar, that Jesus, he would toughen Jesus up. And so God the Father contacts uh, Sunstar and asks him to accept Jesus, not as his savior, but as his roommate. And uh, it's, anyway, it's kind of bizarre. And and then Sunstar is still beating up the bad guys and, and when he beats up uh, four of them one day, Jesus comes along and heals them. And Sunstar says, why did you do that? And Jesus replied, because he needed it. They, these guys needed healing. And the, the picture is a, a, a father that's still disappointed, his son's still not very tough. Um, and he's you know, gentle, meek, and mild. And I thought about that uh, and interestingly enough, the name of the comic, Second Coming, I thought about, hmm, really doesn't understand what's going to be like when Jesus comes second time around. And the picture in Scripture is Jesus came the first time to bear sins, right? Jesus came the first time to bear sins, to be the meek, sacrificial lamb who would give up his life for the rest of the flock. Second time, it's going to be different. Let me just read a couple of verses here before we go uh, into our text. Second Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> beginning verse 10. But the day of the Lord, and that's the coming of Christ, the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. 
And since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. Hebrews 9.28 talks about how Jesus came the first time uh, to bear sins, but the second time he will come uh, to bring salvation to those who are waiting uh, for it. And our text this morning is on the second coming of Christ. And I, in the run-up to preparing this message, I, I, I thought about us as American Christians and, and thought, what, what are... <laughs> Do we, is the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ, even on our radar? You know, we kind of go to and fro on all of our activities and all of our busyness of life. And ask yourself, when was the last time you thought about Jesus coming back, both for judgment and for deliverance? And so we're going to read about this this morning, uh, Luke chapter 21. Beginning at verse 20. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, this is Jesus talking, then you will know that the time of its, its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Those in Jerusalem must get out. And those in the country should not return to the city. For those will be days of God's vengeance And the prophetic words of the scriptures will be revealed or fulfilled. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. For there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this people. And they will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified of what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. And so all these things begin, begin to, when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up. For your salvation is near. And then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear but my words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, you aren't in the dark about the things that are coming upon us. And we won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. 
We are all children of light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. Help us to be on our guard, not asleep like the others, to stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But help us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For you chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out your anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. And Father, that's the hope that we live by this morning. That's, that's the hope we're going to uh, drink to and eat for uh, two in a few minutes later this morning. The hope of a savior who came once to deliver us and comes the next time to fulfill that deliverance. And who, when he came the first time, bore our sins on the cross so that we don't have to fret and worry about that the next coming. And yet we realize there are many, some we work with, some we go to school with, some we're related to, some we live next door to, many for whom that second coming will be a, play, a, a moment of great terror and horror. And may this be a reminder to us today, Lord, that we, we're, we're, as the people of God, we're your ambassadors. As a church, we're an embassy left here, not just to see how much money we can accumulate, not just to see how much comfort we can enjoy, enjoy but to be ambassadors of the king for the time when he will come to judge the world and to take his own unto himself. And we say with the early church, Lord, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now in this prophecy that Jesus gives here in Luke 21, he kind of blurs two events together. In the first, four, uh, first five verses, 20 to 24, he's talking about something that's already happened. Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you will know the time of its destruction has arrived. Now, we're not going to get into all the quibbling about disagreement regarding the end times and what takes place when. I'll simply tell you what I understand out of this text and this doesn't cover near all of what is uh, d discussed and disputed uh, among Christians. But I think this, was taking, uh, this has already taken place, what Jesus was talking about here. Those who must uh, flee to the hills, verse 21. Those in Jerusalem have to get out because the days are going to be horrible for those remaining in the city. This, I think what uh, Jesus is speaking about here is a Jewish revolt that began in AD 66 and continued on till AD 73. But the kind of benchmark date during that was AD 70 when Jerusalem fell. This was a revolt against Rome by Jewish uh, revolutionaries. A number of different factions were uh, fighting the Romans and uh, in AD 70, or the end, it might have been the end of 69, the Romans began a four-month siege, um, laying a siege around the walls where the defenders of Jerusalem uh, uh, were stationed. 
And at the end of that siege, when they broke through the walls, the um, devastation of the people and that city was horrific. Josephus claims that 1.1 million people in the city were killed. Now, Josephus has a tendency to exaggerate, but even uh, dividing that number somewhat, the, the death toll was horrific. And Titus, who was the general and later became Caesar, uh, tried to restrain his men and was utterly unsuccessful. They slaughtered not only combatants, but anyone who, who they came upon, including women and children. Uh, the, uh, the Roman historian Tacitus tells us, I think, that 97,000 were uh, people were enslaved. They were sold to other people in other countries, or sent off to the gladiator schools, and went to their met their deaths in the gla- uh, the arenas for the entertainment of the people. It was horrific. And probably most of us have never read anything about this siege and subsequent slaughter. In Jerusalem, it just doesn't make the historians, uh, it's not on the historian's radar. But there's one modern historian who says that he thinks the siege of Jerusalem was probably, probably the greatest single slaughter in ancient history. And the reason it's important to point this out is because you'd say, why would Jesus focus on this one ancient battle, if you will, event, and not all of the others? Because it was the judgment of God on his own people. Uh, Look at verse 22. For those days will be days of God's, what's the word? God's vengeance. In other words, this, this was not just some geopolitical event among other geopolitical events. There have been wars and rumors of wars down through the ages. This was a deliberate blow against the city and its people. Um, God's vengeance and he says there will be verse 23 there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this people who's who's angry not the Romans they were angry but he's talking about the anger of God against the Jewish people this is a judgment of God upon his own dearly loved people why not for idolatry When Israel was brought back from Babylon six centuries before, idolatry pretty much ended. And on the run-up to Jesus' return, they had stopped worshiping their neighbor's gods. What was the problem? Because 40 years earlier, the Son of God came from God, and they, by and large, rejected him. And the great wrath poured out on his people. Now, let me just make a footnote here. It's because of the early church and then later churches understanding that God was punishing Israel for its rejection of Christ that we have an incredibly awful and long-lasting streak of anti-Semitism in the Christian church. And from 1,000 to 1,100 and 1,200 A.D., we have the Crusades marching south from Europe to liberate the Holy Land from the Muslims. And along the way, there was an incredible slaughter of Jewish people. Why? Because they thought that they were doing God's business of punishing the Jews. Listen, when God saw fit to punish the Jews, he can handle himself. Thank you very much. And he doesn't need Christians piling on. 
And it's tragedy. It's tragic as you look through the history of the Christian church to see all of the anti-Semitism, even some of our great heroes, Martin Luther, a horrific, horrific denunciation of the Jewish people and, and um, speaking about them in ways that ungodly people shouldn't speak about them, let alone godly people. And there's, so there's no place in our day or has there been in past days for anti-Semitism. God will take care of the people that he feels the need to judge. Now, there, uh, Spurgeon, when he preached on this text, said that this is kind of a, uh, he saw these days in Israel as a rehearsal for the future. And so when Jesus made this prophecy, it was as if he was looking at something near as well as something far. And, and if you would go, uh, for example, if you would be in Colorado Springs and you would look up at the Rocky Mountains and you see these high, uh, these high slopes that go up to 14,000 feet or whatever, it looks like it's just one mountain range. But if you start to drive toward Pikes Peak, eventually you're going to come to the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And you realize this isn't one mountain range. There's a lower mountain range in front of the Rockies and then this higher mountain range. And in a sense, that's often what prophets would do when they would be speaking about events to come. Often they would be speaking about more than one era. And so they're speaking on the one hand about they see the foothills, but in the distance they see the high peaks. And that's what Jesus saw here when he was prophesying about what was going to happen to Jerusalem in AD 70. And the Roman troops came in, not only slaughtered everybody, but they, did, they tore the temple down. And, and we now have just a few stones left at the base of the Wailing Wall because of Titus's troops tearing down these massive stones that day. Jesus not only saw those days, but he saw the days in the future that have not yet occurred, that are still to come. The day in which, when the Son of Man comes back to earth. And so he goes on to talk about this. So you see uh, verses 20 to 24, this is the near future when God storms Jerusalem and the remaining verses when Christ, more distant future, when Christ saves or judges everyone. Some people are going to be judged. Some people are going to be delivered. But everybody is going to fall in one of those two camps, one of those two categories. There's nobody that kind of is in the middle and there's some other destiny, some other future for them. Now, when does Jesus return? Of course, we know the answer to that is... (laughs) What's the answer? (laughs) I don't know. What did Jesus say when he was talking about that date? He says, no one knows the, the day or the hour. In fact, he said of himself right then, not even the son of man. Now, I think Jesus knows today, but when Jesus was here on earth, he deliberately shielded some of his divine powers uh, so that he could experience fully humanity. He was fully God while he was here on earth, but he was fully human as well. I think he knows the date that he's coming back. I don't think uh, God's going to knock on his door one day and say, hey, today's the day. And he's like, oh, shoot, I need to hurry up and get ready. I think he knows. But his point was we should not try and speculate and, and pinpoint and target dates, right? Because we don't have the wherewithal to do that. It's going to come upon the world like a, a thief in the night. Uh, distant future, yet to come, Jesus is coming back. Um, 
Now, it's interesting. Let me just jump ahead to verse 32 and then we'll backtrack a little bit. Verse 32 says something that has frustrated scholars and Bible readers in general for uh, two millennia. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Now, we think of generation as 20, 20 years, maybe 40 years. We're like, hmm, that means that Jesus is going to come back sometime while Peter, James, and John and all the people in the early first century are alive. Don't think so. I think he was referring here to the destruction, back to the destruction of Jerusalem and the people in general who were alive when Jesus was predicting this, many of them would be alive when Jesus comes back. I, there's other ways to interpret that. I'm just not persuaded um, by it. I think he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem because again, I think Jesus is blurring these two things together, destruction of Jerusalem and Jesus' return. Now, um, what are the signs that the coming of Jesus is, is kind of in the, on the offing? Uh, a lot of environmental upheaval. Verse 25, strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And he, listen to what Eugene Peterson says in his paraphrase of this passage. And I, I think it's, it puts it out there in language we can understand. It will seem like all hell has broken loose Sun, moon, stars, earth, sea, in an uproar, and everyone all over the world in a panic, the wind knocked out of them by the threat of doom, the powers that be quaking. In other words, it's going to be horrifying to those who don't know who's behind it. Uh, There's language like this all over the prophetic books talking about uh, these days. Joel chapter 2 uh, if you see the, the day of the Lord referenced in scripture, that's, a day, that's uh, looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. And you'll see this in Joel chapter 2, uh, beginning of verse uh, 31. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord. It's both great and terrible. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion in Jerusalem will escape just as the Lord has said. There will be among the survivors whom the Lord, these will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. There is just a picture of massive changes in the skies. We don't really know explicitly what that's going to look like. But here's what I think will be the true. Nobody's going to be sitting in their house watching TV saying, uh, I don't know what's going on. What I mean by that is they're not oblivious to it. Uh, how many of you remember when uh, Three Mile Island was, they were afraid it was melting down? Any of you remember that? Mm-hmm. And we had instructions of what to do if we heard something on the television or the radio or there was going to be sirens uh, uh, blaring locally. We had instructions, uh, grab a few things, head in the car and head these directions, not these directions. Everybody knew about it. There was nobody in the dark. And there have been people since the days of Jesus going back to heaven who claimed that Jesus has already come back and it's a secret Make no mistake about it. When Jesus comes back, you're going to know it. Everything's going to change. The sirens in the heavens will go off. 
Uh, it will be blared on the televisions. It will be blared on the internet. There will be no one who's missing it. That's intentional. That's on purpose. God wants to announce the coming of his son again. It says in verse 27 that everyone will see Jesus return. Here's the kicker. Some will be glad and some will be sad. Verse 26 says some will be terrified. Why? Because anybody who is up for judgment is afraid. If you've ever gone to court because you've been arrested or you have charges leveled against you, you know that's not a fun time. Why? Because you don't know what's going to happen. Even if you got arrested for uh, uh, you know, speeding 25 miles over or something like that, you, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to get uh, cut loose or if you're going to get a heavy fine or maybe have to serve 10 days in jail or something like that. When you're facing judgment, you're terrified because you don't know what to expect. You don't know what's going to happen. And the scripture tells us that there, in the end times, there's going to be a lot of people that are frightened. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says this, when Jesus comes in with the clouds of heaven, everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all of the nations of the world will mourn for him. Why are they mourning? It says they're mourning for him, but they're really mourning for themselves because they realize and there's going to be some kind of evidence that, that they're in trouble. Some are going to be facing judgment. And that's the reason that some are going to be terrified. Verse 28 tells us that there are, going to, there are going to be some people who are thrilled. So look up. When these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. In other words, the fullness of your salvation, the completion of your salvation, it's going to be exciting time. Now, again, depending on your eschatology and what you believe about the end times, some of you think I'm already in heaven I don't have to worry about that. I, I don't know about that. I tend not to be a rapture guy. I, I tend to think that we're probably going to be here until Jesus comes back. But I'd be happy to be wrong. This much I do know. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, I'm going to be thrilled. I'm going to be excited to see him face to face. Now, there's a command in this text, though. As far as I know, it's... I, unless I missed something, it's the only command in the text. And it's for Christians. Now, if you caught it, verse 34, watch out. Now, when I was a kid and I heard this text preached, I thought that meant watch out that you're not doing something um, other than being in church, reading your Bible and praying when Jesus comes back. Now, I was raised in a very conservative home. I saw my first movie when I was 12 years old and I saw my second one when I was 15. Um, we didn't have television until I was a freshman in high school. And I remember the first time uh, our family went bowling. And I had been raised in such an environment that I thought, is God okay with this? And I remember hearing about this watch out and thinking, wouldn't it be awful if I'd be bowling when Jesus would come back? <laughs> I didn't know what he might do. And I think there are still some Christians who read the watch out and think, I have to be doing the right thing when Jesus comes back or I'm in big trouble. No, you have to read what follows. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled. That's the key. 
Don't let your hearts be dulled. And then he gives some examples of things that will dull your heart. Um, some of your more literal translations said dissipation. Mine says carousing, carousing and drunkenness. The word that's translated carousing um, speaks of hangovers. Don't let your heart be dulled by hangovers and drunkenness. And if he just stopped there, we'd think, oh, well, that's, that's not typical Christian behavior. And then he goes on. And by the worries of this life, the mundane, ordinary stuff, stopping to get gas, put in your car, doing your finances, saying, mm, not sure I'm going to have enough for next month. I'm not sure my retirement fund's big enough yet. I'm lobbying for that promotion, but there are three other people in the running, and I'm afraid I might not get it. My sister and I haven't spoken to each other in three years. I don't know how, that, how are you ever going to fix that. Do you understand what he's talking about? that we get so consumed about the ordinariness of life that we lose sight of the big picture. And the big picture is that Jesus, by his blood, has redeemed us and has made us right and is someday going to come and reclaim us as his own and take us out of having to worry about filling up with gas and having enough money in the checking account and restoring relationships that the other person doesn't want to restore. Don't let your heart be dulled so that your heart isn't sharp and still remembering the important things. It doesn't mean that we don't do our finances. It doesn't mean that we don't try to repair relationships. It doesn't mean that if we, we've not found that right mate yet that we don't keep looking. It just, Jesus says, don't let your heart be dulled. Don't let those things become all-consuming, become the most important things in your life. Remember that there's a day when Jesus is going to come back and his return will be announced by the trumpet. And those who know what he has done for them are going to say, Hallelujah. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. A number of years back, I guess it's more than a number of years back, my daughter did a semester in London during her college years. And uh, my mother gave my wife a wonderful gift and took her to see Shallon in London. I don't know, it was a week? How long were they there? A week? So that means eight days away from her husband. That was a long eight days. Uh, Betty and I didn't, we don't, we're not apart uh, very long unless it was for a hunting trip and that might have been four days or five days. And, uh, you know, I, I, we, I had two boys at home yet and of course, fortunately, they were old enough they could kind of take care of themselves. And I don't cook and I don't do laundry. But Betty had a lot of things in the freezer and we had enough clothes to wear until she got home. So we survived, but man, did I miss her. We're just not used to being apart. And I still remember standing uh, at the, the uh, waiting area for the international arrivals in Newark, uh, the Newark airport is above. So the people are coming, walking in below and you see them down through, through the glass. And I remember my mother and my wife walking down that concourse. And I was, I just, I couldn't, 
there was concrete and windows between me and her. I couldn't wait to get to her. And I think that's the kind of longing that Jesus wants us to have by understanding who he is and what he has done for us and how much he loves us and how much he longs to be reunited with us so that there's an anticipation that this world doesn't become all-consuming, whether it's drunkenness, whether it's the sins of our lives or the good things of our lives. Jesus, don't forget, I'm coming back for you. I want to be reunited with you again. And even the things that remind, uh, the, the things that reflect our relationship with Jesus, I want to just, I want to give it a shout out to, today to our church. As I was reflecting this week on, on our fellowship and, and our, my thankfulness for all kinds of things, I thought, what a great church I'm privileged to be part of. It blows my mind some of the things that you do for others in the body of Christ. Uh, for refugee families, uh, the way you guys have rallied when we had refugees coming to this country and, and to help them get acclimated and become part of uh, American culture and become part of our church. Uh, the way you jump up and minister to missionaries. Um, some of you probably saw in the news and notes this uh, weekly that uh, Wes and Michelle Robinson in Czech Republic are moving in two weeks to a house. First non-furnished home they've had in 11 years in the Czech Republic and asking, could you help them with some furniture? They don't have beds, they don't have sofas, they don't have end tables, they don't have kitchen utensils. And you know what, when I put that out there, I just kind of smile because I know, I know you're gonna respond in amazing ways. When people are in the hospital, you, you show up at their houses with meals and you help them and, and you share the good news. We had a team go out to Lancaster the, the other week and nine of you went out talk, praying for people in the streets and telling people about Jesus. I'm like, what an amazing thing to be, church to be part of. It's just, it just blows my mind. And, and to me, that's a reflection of people who understand that this isn't all there is. That there is a there's a Jesus coming back to reclaim you. And you realize that you're here as an, an ambassador, an ambassador, an ambassador. We're, we're an embassy outpost until Jesus comes back. And so I just want to say thank you and I praise God for you fixing your eyes on the Savior that's going to return for you. Now before I close, I would be remiss if I don't speak to you for whom Jesus coming back might mean judgment. We don't know when that is. Here's something I do know. That Jesus died for you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. So much so that he was willing to obey his father's instructions, go to the cross and die for people who are with us. We are the scum of the earth. If you would look at my track record, you go, oh, wow, and you're a preacher? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us are in the same boat apart from Jesus. And with Jesus, we can all be in the same boat. And I want to say to you today, don't wait today. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 2, behold, today is the day of salvation. And what he means is you only know about today or you really only know about this moment. Don't wait to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus to forgive you. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Say, well, what do I do? You say, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me, Jesus, for my sins. It's that simple. It's that simple. And uh, if you want to talk to somebody about it after the service, I'll be up here. And most of the people you're sitting around could talk to you about it, pray with you. We'll have people up here at the front uh, praying with people about anything and they would be glad to pray with you about that but Jesus is coming back we don't know the day but what we are not confused about is that he is coming back and we would love to make sure that everybody here is looking forward to his coming and not afraid of it Father thank you for Jesus our Savior who loved us with an everlasting love who died for the worst of us and I use that term because we think about each other as better or worse. You don't. You think of all of us as the worst. And he died for all. And I'm so grateful for that. And I do look forward to the day that he returns. Um, I, I think about that day when Betty came back and that concourse in the airport and how eager I was to see her again and be reunited with her. And, and pray that you would guard me against having my heart dulled by all the normal things and even the good things of life that the sweetness of anticipation of my savior uh, would never be muted in Jesus name amen